Welcome to the Mechanical Room. A Centrotherm production focusing on all things in and around the HVAC industry. And now, your hosts, Michael Sakaris and Matthew Price. Episode one of the Mechanical Room. Matthew, what is on our agenda for today? Well, forget about today. We'll get to today in a little bit. But for the okay. year, we've got, uh, you know, I'd like to reflect a little bit on sure. uh, um, we did the, the podcast every month last year, which was our goal. 12 episodes, one per month, which was exactly what we set out to do. And we, we did it. We're starting uh, 2022 strong with um, one of a fascinating guests. Um, so we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Uh, Ryan Kiskadden of Watts Water. Um, just, I mean, I can't wait to ask him about how the company works and all kinds of stuff. He's involved in charitable stuff. He's a, you know, he's a phenomenal drummer. I mean, and he's a, a, a entrepreneur when it comes to marketing and all marketing stuff and en enablement, which I got to ask him about. And an author. I mean, he's got, he's just a, a, a don't miss the interview portion. Um, it's going to be fascinating. A really, really great guest for episode one of season two. And I mean, it's just great to be back into the hot air studios. Um, I mean, we took this podcast from, you know, my house and your house during the pandemic times to uh, in the office in our offices here. That's right. And, and then to the hot air studios. That's it. New heights and uh, new uh, new guests, new installations. Same, same jokes. I mean, we're just going to recycle them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's great. It is great to be back. And uh, I'm excited great. to do this. Uh, we've heard a lot from from folks uh, in the industry and beyond that they really like that what we're doing. It's it's sort of uh, forward facing and progressive for the industry. We, as we always say, we we pride ourselves on talking about the mechanical room and the mechanical room adjacent. Really, just putting a a lens over all HVAC, plumbing. Uh, sometimes we get into electrical. Sometimes we get into industrial stuff and wastewater and, and stuff. The, I mean, and this year we're going to go deeper and farther than we did in year one. Absolutely. There's going to be, you know, a variety of guests. I mean, Michael's working for next month on a really fascinating one. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, we get that. We'll it. If not, we'll have somebody who's less good. But, you know, I mean, it'll it'll be. But we'll it'll, pretend it was them so they feel good about it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, Mechanical Room, season two. Why don't we just head right over to show us your pipe. Welcome back to the Mechanical Room, and this is the first ever January edition of Show Us Your Pipe. When we kicked off the podcast last year, we introduced the segment, but we didn't give any prizes away for great installations. Not this year. We're going right into it. And the winner this month is Somatic MEP, Mechanical, Electrical, Plumbing, out of the great province of British Columbia. Thank you so much to JSA Sales for posting these photos. This is really fascinating looking installation. 
So I, I, the reason I really dig this one is just the way that it's all flat up against the wall and just the different angles. I mean, it's almost, you know, artistic in its, uh, in its construction. And one of the things that we always look at and we encourage is making sure that the installation is done properly and properly supported. And even the supports in this job are done in such a manner where they are artistic and even and squared off. It, it's very nicely done. I'm sure you will put the pictures there. Absolutely. Uh, a nice Navian job, if I'm not mistaken, in this application. So uh, shout out to the Navian team on this one. Yes, um, I mean, shout out to Taiko and Califacio. And uh, I mean, this thing is really, really, yeah, I mean, if you look at the bottom of this photo that I'm showing right now, obviously a complex four unit installation. Um, everything is nice and neat. I mean, you know, there's a disturbing lack of diamond plate, as I say, in every single one that has a disturbing lack of diamond plate. Um, but, you know, you can't can't diamond plate them all. This is a pretty tall room, it looks like. So the diamond plate probably would have been pretty penny for this whole thing, yes. which is actually kind of why it's vented the way that it is. And, I mean, it's fascinating to see, to look at this one. It's sort of an atypical yeah, um, very different. orientation. Very different. Um, I'm curious. I would be curious to see why maybe they didn't common vent this stuff. I, I, maybe it's a local codes thing. That's totally possible. Um, another possible reason is this is um, maybe an apartment complex where everybody's got a different bill. Could be. Um, so, I mean, there's a million reasons why you do the things that you do. And the, the thing that is fascinating, though, is that the height of that room is... Yeah, it's know, really, it's it would super not tall. strike me as an apartment complex. So we don't know specifically what it is, but it's it's a big space, maybe industrial oh. or hospital. Who knows? It is a uh, recently completed Hansworth secondary project in North Vancouver. Well, secondary uh, school, possibly. I, I'm not sure what that means exactly. Maybe a secondary school. Do they say that anymore? Is that a term that gets I, gets used these Canada, days? Canada, maybe. Possibly. I don't know. We'll have to touch base with our dear, with our dear friends at JSA Sales Thank on, you for sharing it on, a, on a couple of details here. But I mean, uh, you know, as we cycle through these, these photos here, just a professional job overall. Everything is nice and clean. Uh, you know, you know that this was clearly taken uh, the day it was completed. Right, no dust, no no muck, no nothing. This is this is when we love our showers, our pipe uh, uh, photos because everything is is in its right place. Everything is is completely neat and clean, and that's the way mechanical rooms always stay forever, I, right? The one thing that I also loved about this, even the gas type pipe, the way that it's coming in, it's done exactly the same to the left of the appliance with the same loop, the same direction. Yeah. It was just meticulously done. I always like to say by a craftsman. Yeah, methodical. Yes. Um, I mean, that's what this is. Uh, shout out again to Somatic MEP out of Vancouver and our friends at JSA Sales for posting this. You guys got a swag pack coming your way. Uh, we still have some some holdovers from the the Centrotherm 2021 fall line. Collection. Yeah, the fall collection. Um, Dior I'm... is taking some of that, so we better get it to him <laughs> soon before it goes. We will uh, we'll be coming out soon. I, I, I'm currently working on the the spring collection for for Centrotherm. Maybe maybe a tank top. I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, we're gonna show the guns off in the industry I, I don't, I don't this know year. About <laughs> but they're popular out there. They are. they are. Well, anyways, maybe maybe vote on this. Uh, comment here on, on YouTube or on Anchor and wherever you're listening on these podcasts here. Tank top, yay or nay? He says nay. My wife says nay. To her chagrin, I say yay. Uh, but that's just how it is. Anyways, show us the, the, the gun. Oh, oh, the gun. No, no, no. It's the pipe. Show us your pipe. Thank you guys again, JSA Sales and uh, Somatic MEP. Uh, great job. We'll be right back with Ryan Kiscadden.
and we are back for the interview portion of the mechanical room episode one of season two we have a very special guest today ryan kiskadden an expert in integrated marketing a published author which we're going to get to in a little bit on the subject he works for watts water technologies as its manager of sales enablement he holds a bachelor of arts degrees in business business administration and an mba from elizabethtown college which is in Southeast Pennsylvania, which I had to look up and see. We're going to talk a little bit about Lancaster County. I have some Pennsylvania bona fides myself, and I'd be curious to, to hear about some experiences with there. I don't think the Amish use a lot of commercial boilers, but that's a different story altogether. Okay. Anyways, you live outside of Philadelphia with his wife and two sons, five and under, and you recently wrote a book, Stay the Course, chronicling my self-development, business, and vocational improvement, now in second edition that is available is. on all of your Amazon and what whatnot and stuff. So before we even get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about Watts too, because the biography on or the about section of the Watts page made me die laughing with the first sentence. And uh, so before we get into the questions and all that other stuff in your book and all that, there's a ton of stuff we could talk about. I want to just talk a little bit about Watts because this is one of our first OEM guests, not our first, but among our first OEM guests. And uh, Watts is a fascinating company. Joseph Watts founded the company in 1874 on the strong belief that water boilers in textile mills should not explode. Yeah. And I think we can all agree on that one. He started what started with a pressure relief valve in a tiny New England machine shop has paved the way for today's high quality worldwide water solution technologies. From melting ice on entire city blocks from the ground up to filtering safe drinking water in isolated weather disaster zones, you need water and water needs watts. Watts makes valves, pneumatic and electric actuators, I don't even know what that is, drainage systems, boilers, backflow prevention systems, gas connectors, radiant floor heating, and so much more. Um, really fascinated to hear about Watts the company and all the things that you do for them, and you yourself, Ryan. Please say hello to my co-host, Michael Sakaris. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Michael, how are you? Good to see you again. Nice to see you as well, sir. Uh, I got to ask, my first question, reading your bio, sales enablement. What indeed is sales enablement? Help me understand that. What do you do? Yeah, so sales enablement is a really cool, sexy term. I'll call it for marketing nowadays. Um, but in a nutshell, really, we're just trying to connect all the great stuff that the Marcom team does here at Watts to the sales um, team. And whether that's our manufacturer reps to our regional sales managers, you know, sales enablement has a pretty broad definition, but it can include everything like doing trainings, education, awareness, you know, but again, in a, in a, a really short form, it's trying to connect the sales team to what marketing does every day and making sure the two of those things are synonymous together because typically those aren't, you know, they, they operate in silos and this is a great position to be able to sort of knock down those barriers. But, um, Sales enablement is a burgeoning field, I think, not just in our industry, but uh, a lot of other verticals as well. Cool. So Matthew's going to be hitting me up for a, like a new title now, I think, you know, given that he's our marketing and communications manager, he's he's going to be looking for a sales enablement job. I want to be a sticker enablement job, as we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Oh, we're, we're, we're big on stickers these days here, as, as, so, as the industry is as well. Sticker enablement for, you know, your laptops and your, uh, you know your trucks and all that sort of stuff too. That's cool. Is that, um, I mean, obviously you've, you've just changed uh, 
companies, that is. Um, were you doing a similar thing at your previous company? And this is the first time you've been called a sales enabler, correct? Yeah, I think I think the big thing is looking at my career trajectory. I think along the way, I've always had either business development, marketing background, or in this case, there's this now this sales enablement piece. In a lot of ways, the job that I'm doing today is not much different than the job that I've done in the past. It's just a little more focused um, on the sales team. And, you know, I really think that it takes special people to be able to connect and sell and talk about the things that marketing can do compared to what sales is doing. And so translating those bits of information into something that's palatable for both sides is it's a key position for sure. So tell us a little bit about the transition. I don't know if you want to mention the previous company, but it is uh, uh, a notable name in the industry. Yep. Uh, but uh, so you've, uh, you're new at Watts, of course. Tell us a little bit about the transition and maybe what's been the biggest learning curve joining up with the Watts Water uh, organization? Yeah, I mean, the comment I would make about the transition is we all kind of go through them in our career. And uh, sometimes those, those decisions are really hard to make. And uh, that was definitely the case with my transition. It's, it's a great company that I left, a, a well-known name to an equally, as, if not better, well-known name as well in our industry and space. So, you know, at the end of the day, when I started in my career at the HVAC and Plumbing Wholesaler, I always said to myself, I got to find the industry that I want to be in. Where I work and what job I do is less important to me. And I think that's really carried me through where I am today as I just found the industry. I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but, you know, working through and working with blue collar types, you know, the understanding the plight of the, the contractors in the field, whether they're mechanicals, the one shop or the one uh, one uh, van owners and folks like that. I mean, that's just kind of where where my heart is. And, and then we'll talk a little bit about, I th think we'll get into Lancaster County and blue collar background and, and things like that. But um, generally, yeah, I mean, the, the transition is, it's just part of the nature of the beast, I think with, with anyone in any industry, but um, it was a very good opportunity for me. And uh, I'm so happy to be where I am now. Uh, as far as Watts goes, you know, they have a lot of great initiatives internally uh, for, for anyone that works closely with the Watts organization, whether it's a rep to uh, internally with our employees uh, or even customers. You know, you know that Watts is well known, not just for brand reputation and quality, but for training and really now known for how do we do that hands on training, but in an e-learning format. And, uh, you know, Watts is is a leader with that and that philosophy sort of permeates the organization. I mean, we, we practice what we preach and folks within our staff, whether that's, again, our marketing team, product team or others, really put a lot of emphasis around professional development, personal growth. And uh, yeah, Watts is, is well known for that in our space and couldn't be at a better place. So yeah, I, I um, you know, but as far as challenges go, I can't really think of any quite yet, but I'm still a little new, but uh, you know, it's still a great company to work for. Indeed it is. So a question, uh, you, you said a lot there. I wrote down several questions from your answer. This uh, <laughs> one is, uh, you know, you were talking about the, the small guy, you know, single truck. We kind of call them uh, affectionately the trunk slammers, you know, single man show. And then you're talking about larger contractors. We also talk about personas. Do you look at that in a way, are you marketing or positioning or enabling your sales team uh differently around those different types of guys do you treat them all the same uh just curious on how a big company looks at it uh and how you take that you know that approach and, and get it into the hands of the sales team 
Yeah, I, I think that generally speaking, we absolutely stratify all of our customers and we do focus on those personas. We use some tools called Story Brand. So where we're writing out um, experiences that we expect that customer to have and then what their pain points are and trying to tell their story in a way that we can solve their problem with a hero essentially and hero being one of our products. But you know, generally speaking, yeah, I mean, Look, when you think about marketing, you have sort of that generalist marketing, which is more going to be on the branding side. It's going to be on just awareness of, okay, Watts, the company or Watts, what Watts represents. Then you have down to that stratification level of focusing on the individual customer. I mean, at a company the size of Watts, you know, we have folks dedicated to certain customer segments. For example, we have a whole sales support system focused just on specifying engineers, or we're going to have support system focused just on mechanical contractors, just focused on e-commerce initiatives, you know, and, and things like that or retail. So, um, and there's all these different areas that kind of, and staff and resources that fill those buckets and needs. So, you know, the stratification is important and there are themes. I mean, when you think about how Watts goes to market, you know, we talk a lot about connectivity. We talk about water quality and sustainability. Those are the three large overarching, um, more generalist type themes. But then how do those things feed into that individual persona? You know, what does a specifying engineer care about of those three themes? You know, water quality is probably one. And so we try to market our products according to that. So, yeah, generally um, we, we do both, uh, but, but typically we'll focus probably more on the persona side or having a stratification, as we call it. And we take that approach as well. We believe in, you know, identifying, as you said, the pain points and having a different message and a, you know, a different story to tell uh, to the different pieces of, of the market, uh, which leads me to one of my favorite subjects. And I'll say that even with Matthew here is marketing strategy. <laughs> what yeah. we, we philosophically talk about this all the time. What is, how would you define marketing strategy? It is broad and very confusing at times because there are so many things that you can do. <laughs> um, like a lot of things, when you think strategy, you think plan. So I think when I think strategy, it always starts with a written plan of some kind. And you know, I, with our industry particularly, we have, you're seeing a push towards digital. And so you're seeing a push towards meet the customer, maybe in a more digital environment. But as you guys know, the facts are the average age of a worker in our industry is 55 and up. And so you kind of have to look at, yeah, we got to use some of those old techniques and strategy and then combine it with the, the, the possibility of digital or what are other kinds of mechanisms that are out there. And so it's always sort of this push and pull between, you know, which one leads. But, but generally speaking, I mean, strategy is such a broad term. It could be what's your communication strategy? You know, what's your direct marketing strategy? Well, again, what's your digital strategy? All those things kind of make together this gumbo, I'll call it, or burgoo, as I kind of recently learned with a trip to Kentucky. Uh, that's their version of gumbo, as I've come to learn. But um, yeah, I mean, they all kind of come together and uh, you know form that that strategy piece. At the end of the day, you got to look at yourself. You got to look at what's your budget going to be off of your plan. What's the resources that you can dedicate to it? And essentially, where will you be most effective? Because if you do a little bit of everything, but not very effective versus doing one or two things very well in marketing, I think you're going to have a better result. So, yeah, it kind of includes all those elements, I would say. I am fully going to blindly steal that gumbo metaphor because it's beautiful. I really I really like that. Pride here. We, we like that. I, I like that characterization. Um, and 
that actually brings me to another question about how, you know, similarly, you, you asked about market strategy. Uh, I, I'm curious about Watts as a, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I named a hundred things, several of which I don't even know what they do exactly, you know, um, what uh, of the Watts brands that is, right? So I guess my question is, you know, how does Watts keep all the different segments together and organized? How do they work with one another? How defined are the swim lanes? I mean, I guess sort of, I guess I'm looking for sort of a corporate overview just because it's kind of fascinating. We do one thing here at Central Therm, we, we make vent pipe, right? Like we're we're a subsection of what would be one brand under a, under a Watts umbrella. Um, how much interplay is there between Airco and- uh, you Checkmark. Know, yeah. Yeah, great question. Yeah, so I think, you know, First of all, you know, since we're a publicly traded company, there are so many different either controls or systems or general managers, I'll call it. And so when you think about the way that the organization is structured, we have 14 brands. Now, those 14 brands, so I guess to keep the analogy consistent, one could be vent pipe, and then we might have controls, and we might have appliances, and we might have, you know, other systems like flow control or plumbing related. And so, um, yeah, generally the way that, that Watts is structured is depending on your function, you may support, you know, all 14 of those brands, depending on what you do, or you may only support a subset of those brands. And, and so, you know, there's some folks that are literally just campaign managers on our, on our Marcom team that are just specifically related to Techmar, as you mentioned, or you have someone like on my staff, that's a sales enablement person that represents almost all of those um, brands in, in some capacity uh, in the sales force, because the way that the rep community is set up, with our, our certain brands. So the devil's in the details, you know, so when there's acquisitions made and you look at, you know, what are the synergies between the product categories? So if you've now acquired, you know, a company that maybe makes, I don't know, like a pipe and one is PEX and one is copper, um, you know, they're kind of similarly related, but do they go to the market with the same reps? That might determine who supports them internally uh, from our team. And so, and, you know, another woman on my staff, all she does is social media. And so, she has access to pretty much everyone's content if we decide that, uh, you know, that, you know, let's say Airco needs something versus, um, you know, our Mueller steam line, uh, steam line fittings need something. And so it really depends. It's more of a shared resources mentality with how we support the others. But some of it is, you know, again, that some of those acquisitions may have came with support and they, and they, they are still doing the job at a very high level and they will continue to do that job. And, and um, in fact, they may be integrated into work on other areas of the business just by the sheer fact that they know a little bit about a, a similar area. So I know it's a very broad answer, but um, to, to kind of give you a little bit inside baseball about Watts is, you know, we really we work through things like agile method methodology, agile marketing. And because there is so much, there is um, sprints. And so there's constant transparency between the work that we're doing to, um, you know, who, who could assist with that work. Look, you know, 2% of my time helping with something may be just what they need versus, you know, 100% of my time. And so getting in that subject matter expert or the person that can assist on a project or a campaign or whatever that initiative is, you know, we kind of work that way in sort of a more decentralized approach. But, I mean, generally, we do have some lanes defined, but I think those lanes, they blur for sure at a, at a larger company. Is there any rivalry between the brands? I'm not even talking about like a year end, you know, bottom line type stuff. I'm talking about like a grudge match because there's a PBI yeah. softball team and they have beaten Airco softball team for the last eight years running. So there's 
bad blood between the, the water heater and the boiler lines because of this or that, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, uh, we were kicking around the idea of like starting a softball team with Central Therm too, where we'd all, uh, you know, we'd obviously be the Central Therm team. Um, curious about, you know, I mean, again, the interplay between that, because I mean, I've certainly emailed with folks who have an airco.com extension. Absolutely. You have a Watts extension and, you know, there's a PVI extension. So there is an interesting division there. So um, it, it's just it's just fascinating to me as we are a much smaller company to, to, to get a glimpse of, of the larger organization. Yeah, I think intercompany wise, I mean, we're always trying to beat each other at those softball type games. Like mm -hmm. just from what I've gathered from the internal internet, right? Like the certain teams, whether it's our, our Kaizen submissions to uh, just just anything, you know, there's there's always that competitive spirit, I think, you know, which is great for com intercompany relationships. Um, but uh, you know, just being speaking with our sales team throughout uh, the areas and things like that, I would think there's more of um, some issues that arise just from intercountry stuff. You know, whether it's you know Canada to U.S. or Mexico to, to U.S. Uh, but quite frankly, I haven't seen much of it yet, and that's probably great. Um, it may be that it's not out there, but um, but generally, I think we just kind of work through those issues and we all have the same the same interest in mind, which is to serve that co that customer or the contractor, wholesale distributor or whoever that is. And uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it comes with any organization, though, right? Like you get some of those tug, tugs and pools and and things that come around periodically. Absolutely. I mean, it's not it's not unlike. Uh, you know, accounting over here and engineering over here and marketing is here and sales is here and at, you know, I mean, it's different spokes on the wheel, if if you will. And, I, you know, I mean, some of those brands are large enough to have their own wheels and spokes of, the, of themselves. So Spe well, speaking of brands and, and speaking of you, which brands do you play with? Is it all of them? Or are you, you know, focused on a certain number of them? Uh, yeah, how are so you my, role, my role today as written is to really support um, all of our brands minus the HHWS side, which is our hot water solution side, uh, because just because of the way that they're set up currently, uh, I would love to get more into that side of our business. Um, but, you know, they they could really, uh, I think, in the future, get get some assistance with the, the sales enablement function and trying to connect all the great pieces that they have and then connecting that directly to manufacturer reps and sort of creating a feedback loop. Uh, but that's, you know, a decision to be made in the future. But I got to go back to real quick, um, your question, Matt. So it, it made me think about with, when I was at the wholesale distributor, we always had, and it's not just wholesale distributor. It could be, you know, you name the company. There's always that like accounting versus purchasing and sales versus purchasing, things like that. I'll never forget my first couple years in our business. And I remember this sort of tug of war that happened between our sales team and our purchasing team. And uh, so on the sales side, it was like, you know, they all always fight with, well, how come we can't, you know, everything we try to sell is out of stock. So they would call like the purchasing department, like the sales prevention department, you know, because they can never bring the stuff in, in the stock on time. And the purchasing department will call the sales team, like, you know, basically they're, they're the bottom line, you know, losers because they kept giving away all of our stuff for not charging enough margin. So it's like, you kind of, you always have sort of this tug and pull between the two of those positions. And some of it's personality driven than it is structural like it could just be that one person or two people in an organization that you have to work out and uh, kind of fix those issues but um but but they're real i mean certainly the bigger you get the more um you know integrate in, integrated it becomes the more of those things you see for sure yeah we uh i, I won't uh, go into specifics but the, the term sales prevention gets kicked around a little bit internally here as well yeah. i won't say who's 
says it about about who he knows uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they know who they are too <laughs> i don't think they know oh, that they're <laughs> and that's as far as we will go because uh you know i'm going to remain friends with those uh those fine folks yes indeed. Uh, yeah. it's all about the team right <laughs> there's no i in team at, at the end of the day we all win or lose together i mean basically so you know while there is sort of fun come let's call it camaraderie even though it's a you know i mean that's a bit of a pejorative clearly um you know it, it is we are you know, win or lose as a team as you guys do as as well um yeah. so um okay. You were talking about the wholesale side. Uh, you know, we went pretty deep on the resume here as I, you know, did some research on you. I Googled around. I found some stuff on on an old Twitter too that we're gonna ask about. Uh, you know, it doesn't go away, Ryan. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Digital is forever. <laughs> so you worked with our dear friends at APR Supply. Yes. Um, was it, was Jeff in the mix at that point? I'm not sure how long he's yeah. been there. He's our he's our our Jeff point Thompson. man. He's he's Jeff been... Thompson. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a couple of Jeffs I've known over there, but Jeff Thompson, absolutely. Yeah, he's a good friend to ours. And... Shout out to Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah. If you're watching this, we uh last time I saw him was in Palm Springs. We left the yeah. the Hardy uh annual conference, which is sure. something I think you work with as well. I don't really have a question about APR Supply. I just wanted to say say what's up to Jeff and uh, and acknowledge their you know their partnership with Central Therm. Um, but I would, Matt. I will, I'll stop you there because I I've often talked about this. Either it's been in interviews or just with people. That experience that I got at APR has served me so well in my career. I don't think I didn't know that going in. I was there for six years, and I mean I did. I was in their management training program. I was able to you know literally drive trucks. I worked in the warehouse. I worked at the counter for a year. I worked in the purchasing department. Like I did so much stuff there just to get to know contractors in our business that it's, it continues to serve me well, whether it's like the way that certain you know pieces connect together, you know, how the interactivity between certain brands, how the, the two-step distribution works. I, you know, it's so valuable. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly using those experiences and you know, if we're talking about dear friends, Terry Ludwig at APR is by far, uh, at least in, in this business for me, the highest mentor that I could ask for both, both in business and life. You know, he's the guy that I'm texting and I get stuck on something and we work it out over, over a whiskey drink. That's my preferred. And we just talk about these issues and, and think about how do you work through those things, you know, both delicately, both, you know, for you as a person, but, you know, for, for your family as well. And so there's that interconnectivity between you know, what we do every day to to our life and um but he's been that for me and i, I love the folks at apr and uh, in fact i don't know if you can see in my overhead maybe i think i cut it off but i just got a mini split through them a couple weeks ago and had one of their contractors put it in so it's uh it's great stuff we, so, go ahead. yeah i was gonna say uh you're like a true success story of the the management trainers program is that where you were gonna go because, uh, no but, but um that's a good point. I, I forget what was the actual title of the program that they call it it was just manager management trainee program we when we were at Hardy, um, Jeff was walking around with two little U's, 19-year-old Ryan's, you know, yeah. uh, contemporary 19-year-olds yeah. doing that exact same sort of stuff. And man, they were super stoked and excited about the industry. And they said almost the same thing that you were you're saying. You're looking back at it, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever. They are yeah. in it, getting that experience. And they were one, I mean, incredibly excited to be at, at Hardy and walk around and meet other, you know, manufacturers and, and make contacts and network and stuff. But they made sure to talk about how, you know, to tell me that they also worked in the warehouse and they were picking orders and they were doing this and that. And, you know, and it really does round you out 
and and make you appreciate all of those folks on the wheel that we were you know previously referred to. So really good on APR for having this program. And I mean, clearly it has got decades of of, of bona fide success here. You, of course, being an, a, a shining example of that. So um, it's, it's easier to be successful in the jobs that the three of us have if you understand what a distributor does and why they do it and kind of they're the artery of getting you know product into the market and, and coming up through distribution i came up through distribution uh not on this side on the electrical side but it's critically important and one of the things that we do here and matthew actually ho hosted it if i can call it that we took a bunch of our new folks and he toured them around the local distributors in the albany area we went to FW Web. We went to Sid Harvey. I forget where else we, we went. went to a Johnstone Supply. We we like literally did a circle of the Capital District of New York, and I we went to and not all of them are customers either. And there was some you know uh, airside suppliers that were you know that we don't sell vent pipe to. It was like let's just go walk in and yeah well, you know they went to the counter. You know why do you have stuff on display? You know how do you make that decision? All those things are critically important. And part of what we say we like to do with this podcast is try to, you know, part of it is entertainment, part of it, of course, right? You know, we're marketing stuff. And handsome, handsome hosts. Handsome hosts. Uh, <laughs> we also giving back to the HVAC, uh, you know, community. And and we want this to be a forum for getting the word out on what we do. And if, also as a manufacturer, you as a manufacturer, we've had contractors, we had, you know, associations, we had Talbot from Hardy on. It's about bringing awareness to the industry because as you said, the average age is, Kind of my age if you know if not a little bit above that and there's a big gap right and we need to get the younger generation and being at a distributor knowing what a distributor does is is important so that's part of our mission here totally is and um so i mean we've we've smooched the metaphorical backside of hardy enough on this podcast that we can just say yeah we love you guys hardy and he works with hardy a little bit too yes, um yeah. but uh, i wanted to ask you about your other volunteer work as well and you talked about giving back so it's a perfect transition Sure. Uh, Ryan works with the NMSS, which is the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Uh, yeah. How how do you get involved with that? What do you what do yeah. you do? With so so interesting tie in Matt because you and I talked a little bit over um, the email like the band and music stuff. So so one so very interesting story. Um, so I was in a band for a long time in college, and I've, I've still play music at home as drummer. Yeah, you can see the djembe behind me, but. Uh, the, the big thing was, so so there was, you know, some, so, uh, with that particular band, one of the, the members, like the band breaks up and all this, and they actually found a different drummer, and I had already moved on to a different project, but this drummer that was in the new version of the project or the band ends up announcing that he has MS. And so we decided, you know, as a group, like we were going to go out and try to support not only just him, but like this initiative. And so we actually did a fundraiser where we, and we actually booked a show to do this where the old version of the band, the one that I was in, played as in a competitive scenario to raise the most money for MS against the new version of the band. And uh, we got, you know, we booked a, a night and uh, it's actually still available on YouTube, but you know, the whole set for both sides of the act is available. Um, it was it was so much fun. You know, I think we raised maybe $5,000 or something for this, you know, so, so that it's really important to me is that, you know, th those kind of initiatives, but, I, admittedly, I don't think we've done much with it since then, Matt, but um, that was a really cool moment, both for, I was proud of our band and the members to obviously get back together to do that, but then, you know, support someone. Uh, and, and that particular drummer, I've started to, believe it or not, this year, go back and relearn a lot of his parts, um, just because 
I know his MS has progressed and he's not able to play. You know, and he was a very good double bass drummer. So he played a lot with his feet, with the 16th notes. And um, so I've gone back and tried to really recreate and learn those parts, not because I'm going to play with the band someday again with those, but because I think it'd be a nice way to pay homage to him. And and I, I loved his playing and still do. So, um, and fortunately, yeah, he had to give MS, or he had to give up uh, drums a couple of years ago because of MS. But yeah, I, I, we have done some things there. But um, yeah, my on, more on the volunteer side for me, I'll just make a couple comments. You know, I've since and since I started in my career, I started getting affiliated with the, this group called Score. I know Score. Score. Score is so cool for what they do for small businesses. So U.S. Uh, federal Agency of the Small Business Administration, they are um, have local chapters. And really, anyone that's starting a business can get free business help from a list of mentors within their area. Um, I was actually signed up to be a mentor about five years ago now uh, at my own pace, right? So volunteer on the side when I get a couple minutes. And, you know, but I got turned on to it from dealing with contractors, right? A lot of these guys, as we all know, you know, good at turning the wrenches, good at the technical side, the business stuff is um, an area that they'd like to improve. And SCORE is great for that. You know, you got a question on accounting, the business management. And so um, some of the people that I've helped, uh, I've helped maybe like one or two contractors over the time I've been in the program, but a lot of people are like startups. They just have some random idea. And typically the advice is pretty simple. You start with what's your business plan? And then the next meeting, they usually don't show up again. It's like, so they, they thought it was a great idea. You know, someone said it would be a good idea, but writing a business plan just scared them and they just went nowhere else. And honestly, I think in some ways that's giving some people um, that tough advice they need to hear is that if you're not willing to write a plan at the very minimum, you're probably not going to be very successful with this. And whether that plan's two lines on a napkin to its 200 pages, the point is you've written something down, you're executing on it, you know? So but anyways, I, I've always really enjoyed my score work. Um, I've talked a lot about that um, and uh, in my past, and I really enjoyed it. And I still do enjoy it when I get the time to do it. Excellent. Yeah, that's, cool. that's very cool. So uh, you, you, I mean, this, this, uh, the chat about score um, brings me to a question. I want to bring it back to your, to your book. Um, yes. So Ryan is, of course, a published author here. We, uh, we plugged that at the top here. Available yeah. on Amazon and all major yeah. distributors. And, and all that sort of stuff. Please uh, go pick it up in second edition. Uh, this is, of course, me yeah. just taking this information off the internet, of course. Um, you know, so, uh, but I, I did read, you know, obviously look through the, you know, the synopsis and all that sort of stuff. And I wanted to read something and then ask you a question that's relative to, uh, you know, the band stuff and the charity stuff and all that other stuff as well. So, sure. uh, quote, you don't need to be from the HVACR and plumbing industry to appreciate some of the idiosyncrasies of these learned business practices. I'd like to think many other industries operate in similar ways, and this book can be of service to startups, nonprofits, and for-profits. Yeah. So I guess reflexively, what's something you brought into HVC, HVACR from other industries or something that's HVAC-based that you think should you know, flourish elsewhere? That is a great question. You know, I, I think that when you do a lot, both like in your academic side and you're just trying to understand how do you pull those things in, I remember pretty clearly in my first job was talking about this thing called ABC, which is an accounting principle around allocation-based costing. Oh, that I might must, be uh, always be closing, as in, you know, we're all sales guys over here, right? <laughs> yeah, always be closing. I guess you could always do that too. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, ABC for for our industry, I think is important, right? Like 
if you're a contractor and you're getting a call that says, look, it's it's checking the furnace versus like doing a bunch of different um, elements within the furnace replacement. How do you allocate those costs? Maybe you're not sending your highest tech. Maybe you're sending someone that's a little bit younger, depending on what the nature of the job is. And so this allocation concept is really trying to get at a deeper analysis on, you know, what is it that you're doing? And then are you properly putting them in the right bucket when you're doing your accounting? And, and I, again, I know like the guy that's literally in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt going, why am I talking about accounting on the job? But it could be as simple as, there you go. It could be as simple as, you know, just marking up that invoice and saying, look, like this needs to go in a different bucket than normally we would just charge it to revenue, for example. You know, maybe we, you know, break up this invoice a little bit deeper and say, look, that that's a part that needs to go into, I don't know, the inventory, take that out of inventory. And you just mark it up and you give it to your accountant, you know? So, but that concept, I think is one that, you know, is something that I've tried to get to, particularly on the marketing side is around how do you allocate activities um, according to what those needs are. And it could be that, you know, you, like sometimes you just think like an employee is just good at that one task. Maybe they shouldn't be just doing that one task. Maybe they ought to be trying something a little bit outside their swim lane and, and trying, you know, to grow themselves. And so, again, it's more of a broader methodology, I'll say, than it is something specific, but that would be one. I, I know I wrote about that in the book, but that's one that I think this industry definitely does and, and could think about further. And to be honest with you, I've seen a lot of the stuff that Ruth King has written. If you've ever talked and spoken to her, I love her her books. In fact, a couple that are behind my shelf right now. Um, really great for contractors. I mean, great email that she puts out every day or every other day, whatever the frequency is. Just a quick, you know, dollars and cents on what you need to be thinking about the contractor. And you know, I also listen to a podcast uh, called the HVAC Jerks, which I believe the guys are up your way. Uh, yeah, we, we've done that show. And uh, we're very, you know, we're close to those guys. Rich, Rich is a personal friend. Yeah, that's cool. Good. Yeah, so Rich and Rich and Anonymous Joe and and everyone and Kevin, and uh, but you know, I love listening to their show and they talk a lot about. You know, I think in the most recent episode, they talked a lot about you're going to make a lot of money in, in being a contractor. It's what you do with that money. It's what it's only it's what how you save that money or how you reinvest that money. You know, making money in this business is not that hard, but it's really about how do you do it more efficiently and effectively over time and you know that that's something that again most people don't think about when they get started and um i don't think i share this in the beginning but i'll get into it now you know my brother-in-law he's a master plumber in new jersey he's a two-man a uh, shop if you will he has two trucks on the road and that's a, a conversation that that i've tried to get in a few times with him it's like how do you properly allocate your you know this revenue that you're making to your bottom line and obviously you know separating the business from from personal especially at that size because he's extremely profitable, he's busy with with uh, Jersey Shore homes and Princeton homes and higher end clientele in the Greater New York um, Metro. But you know, it's really about thinking through, like, because at some point, you know, the back's going to give out, the knees aren't going to work as well. Unlike me or others that aren't in the field, <laughs> that can actually probably sit at a desk and a computer for till they're 65. You know, so that's the kind of stuff that you know our industry has to think about as well. Not only do you need people in it. It's about safety, ergonomics, you know, just making sure you're not burning yourself out. I love that episode that the HBAC jerk just did about it. So uh, those are sharp and real, real fun. I mean, are. they make it, they make a subject that's not too sexy, sexy, right? They do. They really do. I'm going to connect three dots through through the our conversation here. One was you have a social media team. 
I'm going to forget the third one. Two is your, uh, you know, we got family that are contractors. And yep. third is overall marketing strategy. How do you loop that together? Because we are doing some fun things with social media. You know, tell us a little bit about how those three things connect. You've got a dedicated person. What do they do? Where do you steer them? Uh, you know, what, what's all this, you know, social media craziness about that's going on in the industry right now. And there's a lot of it, right? Absolutely. Including the HVAC jerks. And, and sometimes there's the like weird, weird pipe companies posting photos of lizards. I, I don't know what the deal is with that. that but that's, that's, that's connect, us. connect your, you know, your, your <laughs> earlier comment about personas and social media. And what are you trying to do as a company to tie that into maybe even a fourth thing, the younger generation that spends a lot of time on social media, even at work. I, like a lot of marketing, you know, I think we try to treat it like a science experiment. And I mean that with all these, you know, respect is it's hypothesis first, test, analyze later. And that idea, you know, you could apply that to marketing campaigns. You can apply that to any kind of direct or communication that you do. But generally speaking, social media is the same way. We plan. So we have an editorial calendar. You know, we post and we look at what type of posts we actually have. Uh, I think it's about 10 different categories of posts. So you have people posts, you have product posts, you have fill in the blank posts, you have, we call it humanizing the brand type posts. You know, you have data kind of posts, um, share posts, things like that. And so so there's the organic strategy and then there's a strategy around um, engagement, right? So we post something, someone comments, we're liking it, we either comment back, we look proactively at pages like our manufacturer reps, for example, and say, what are you guys doing related to tagging Watts? And when you do, you know, we're sharing that content or we are going out and, and commenting, you know, something as simple as a little emoji of a fire, you know, like that's fire what you're doing to, you know, um, uh, just anything really, just thanks for the, the mention. All that kind of adds up into then the analyzed part. And the analyzed part is the metrics that you look at, whether that is in our case, we look at both followers or connections depending on the platform. And then also engagement. And um, so that's, we'll call that metrics 1.0. Um, the future I think is gonna be metrics 2.0, which is this idea of trying to score all your data in, in um, social media, right? So like, hey, getting an extra follower may not have, have the same weight as getting a share from somebody. And so, so in the future, there's almost the idea of indexing where you're kind of looking at like a weighted average and you're saying, okay, well that activity is worth only this much weight versus everything else that's happening with social. And then you compare that against yourself over time. Um, Mark Zuckerberg talks about this most recently with uh, the, this whole scandal around the whistleblower and um, uh, Facebook and some of the things that they're not doing with their, their social media platform and how, quite frankly, the, the tech space is going to get regulated a lot harder, I think, here in the next six to 12 months. Um, I think both willingly, but also a little bit unwillingly, quite frankly. Um, well, willingly, publicly, unwillingly, like, obviously. That's right. And, <laughs> but but with that, you know, the, the, he talks a lot about how they were scoring these posts internally and, you know, things that were really damaging or, say, light your hair on fire type posts, like, those were getting a higher rank, which meant they were getting shown higher yeah. up in feeds. So that's, but that scoring, forget that that was the output of that method. The method is what I'm talking about. The, the scoring, the content, you're scoring the activity, you're scoring the followers. That's what we want to get to, I think, with Watts in a, in a, a 2.0 type setting. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. Uh, and as far as addressing the younger generation, I think that 
social media is a very interesting animal because you're seeing a lot of generational usage depending on which channel is out there, right? It's a different demographic fundamentally that's using Instagram versus probably the most commonly pulled one is TikTok. You know, like there is that conversation happening. However, um, and, and we're a lot, no different than most manufacturers. We have all five channels. I'll say the mainstays right now, your Facebook, Twitters, YouTubes, Instagram, and uh, missing one. LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn. Um, so, but those five are by far, um, you know, where the bread and butter is. Now we would argue Twitter, you could probably just turn that off in our space and you wouldn't be offending anyone, quite frankly. Um, no one uses it, it seems like, and the engagement's very low. Uh, but regardless, you can move to the future when you think about new social media channels like a TikTok. You know, we did some re preliminary research that sort of suggests that there is content being developed by technicians in the field, perhaps younger generation, on job sites of things that they're doing. And again, TikTok sort of has this bad rap of it being all about, you know, dance videos. But I think the future is short form videos. That's what TikTok is serving very well today. And their algorithms are, are very good for, for doing that. And in addition, I think there's other platforms that you really have to monitor the future on for our space. One is Reddit. I mean, everybody, if you haven't been on Reddit, uh, there is a plumbing forum. There's an HVAC forum. I think that's a very popular uh, method that, you know, that we will be taking a look at as well. And then, you know, kind of, you know, adjusting to that is a social only or excuse me, listening only social media. So there's a couple new social media websites out there, such as Clubhouse, where it's literally just audio only. Where And I think that I personally, if I'm putting my money behind any of those resources, it's going to be the, so, the um, uh, listening only or audio only type social medias. Because these contractors, whether you're mechanical, the one shop guy or one truck guy to, um, you know, the big uh, specifying engineers, you're in a car, you have windshield time, typically. That is extremely valuable if you're able to serve content that way. And that's why I think podcasts that what you guys are doing, Nate Face Jerks is a little bit ahead of your time and you're gonna, and we'll get there. But I think the future is bright with social media and capturing that next generation. But we have to think about that stratification around who uses those platforms, how are they using it and how do they wanna be served within it? And then from there, there's lots of tactics you can deploy, whether it's posting strategies, paid strategies and things like that. Fascinating. I, I do have a, a follow-up though, or I, I tried to mention it. Yeah, go ahead. Metrics. Are you using any tools to capture metrics right now around social media? We do. Yeah. So we we are um, heavy users of the Hootsuite platform, not only for the posting side, but the, the data analytical side. Um, I think the future there, uh, although my team doesn't know this yet, I think the future is we're going to try to move that to more of a visualization uh, respect. So meaning you can take a platform like that and instead of dumping out Excel and putting them into the, all these spreadsheets by yourself and plotting everything out, it can actually visualize this and then concatenate other different areas of different data sources and go, oh, these two things may actually be working in parallel to each other. Uh, but we do use um, Hootsuite exclusively, I would say. And then uh, we do have a couple of social media and online listening tools as well that we have deployed. Yeah, we can go on for hours around this alone, but- uh, you Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the one that was ex exceptionally thorough and informed answer, yeah. I, it, I, mu I must say, like, kind of affirms some of the things that I feel about the industry as well. Uh, it's nice to get someone, you know, sat satellite person, let's say, you know, not inside this office, inside this room here to to say to state some of those things that I, that I definitely strongly believe. Um, I will even take it a step further and say TikTok is maybe even further ahead um, in our industry than you might think. Um, a funny little anecdote is my marketing uh, associate 
She is 21. She's coming on full-time when she graduates. She's, she's currently finishing her communications degree at Santa College. She texted me like Saturday morning last week, whatever, and she was and she was just laughing because I don't know, she's scrolling TikTok, you know, she wakes up having a cup of coffee, whatever. And she tells me that one of my favorite contractors is suggested material. The uh what is it? SYP or S S whatever. Uh there's a thing called suggested for you, maybe S F S Y. Her her suggested feed contained a contractor who I as a personal friend of mine and a big social media person out of British Columbia and his plumbing content is now going into her like, you know, uh, Joe Jonas dance video, uh, you know, generic feed basically. So all of a sudden there's a guy like working some valves in addition to dancing to Drake or whatever. I think I know who that is, but he's always pushing the limits. You know, we joke about Twitch, but you know, he's always pushing the limits on new platforms. So is that what it is? It is. It is none other than Terrence Chan of the Impetus, who you might be aware of. He is, you know, one of the better, you know, one of the mo- one of the best content creators in the industry, in my opinion. And a former uh, guest of our show. He was actually the first guest for the the Central Throne podcast. He was so willing to do so. You went on coffee talk with 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 him as well. Yeah. Um. I mean, he's all over the place. That guy has the energy. He's the right guy for this because, I mean, one, he gets it. Two, he's like. He trains his guys to make his his like I guess number two maybe I'm not quite sure where he is on the depth chart but this fella uh, who works with him makes the most incredible reels on Instagram yeah, like he, I mean he, he so Instagram isn't even one I think that you you mentioned um, but he's doing these like short form videos on Instagram with a soundtrack and putting transitions it's very slick you know I mean it's it's fascinating to I mean I'm I'm relatively new to this industry still. Right. I've only been in HVAC for the duration of time that I've worked at Central Therm. So I really have kind of a tunnel vision because I've only worked in this sector at this company. And watching the the evolution of how things have been just since 2015, 2016 has been fascinating. And of course, light lights speed light speed too. So I mean it's it's amazing to uh to to watch it all happen sort of unfold and you know, not to do this too much, but also to help do bring it along a little bit with this podcast, with bringing people like you on, with engaging with Terrence and Michael Flynn and Eric at Mechanical Hub and, you know, you the name list them. Is, list is extensive. Yeah, it, it certainly, certainly is. So, hey, we've taken up a lot of your time, So, uh, but I do have a want to kind of go away from the industry a little bit. One, I'm very curious as to the CDs that are in those frames behind you as to what that is. And two, I wanted to ask, who's your favorite drummer? You know, who's your favorite oh, drummer? Who, you know, uh, so who's who's your, you know, what's your favorite band? Who influenced you? Why'd you pick up the drums? And what do you got framed back behind there? Okay, I don't, I don't care about the college degree. You know, we all got those. Oh, uh, you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I um, so so those are actually recordings that I've been a part of, and so I, I have hoping you would say. Yeah. So so and what's really cool, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the music stuff. You know, I'm 15 years old. I decided, look, I, I want to play the drums. And my dad's like, yeah, you're going to get one for Christmas. And, and that's what we did. And got my first Tama Rockstar. I'm self-taught. Was very inspired by bands like Metallica, Lars Ulrich. Yeah, right? Uh, again, I love that they're in our industry, too. If you're watching what they're doing, like the, the trade scholarships and stuff. I don't know if you've seen some of this, but they're helping fund. Awesome. Oh, I love it. But, so, but that's where I got my start, like playing really you know, hard, heavy, loud. And uh, but, you know, I'm like most people, whenever they get their first instrument, you join a band like six months in, I'm in a band and terrible, like absolutely horrible and have recordings and we have the whole bit. Um, and 
yeah, I started making this musical journey where it's like, you know, I kind of really like this. And, you know, I became sort of a student of it, not just because I liked, you know, actually the physical playing of it, but I love everything about these, these drums now. I mean, to how they're made, the materials are made out of the gear, time signatures, like natural sounds, you know, like recording, you name it. And I just got so into it. And um, it's one of those lifelong passions, obviously, because you can never check it off and say, I'm now the perfect drummer I've always wanted to be or a musician or whatever. And same thing you could say for fishing or golfing or anything else. But but those are actually recordings. Um, I had a couple bands. One was a singer songwriter trio. So I was part of a trio piece that was sort of modeled after I'd say like John Mayer, if you ever followed that, that particular musicianship and that, you know, lead driven, you know, very good breathy vocals. And then um, the other band on my wall is a band that was more of a modern rock type band. Uh, you know, down-tuned guitars, but more, you know, 90 to 110 beats per minute, you know, nothing too fast and heavy, but, um, you know, got to play a lot with those guys. You know, if you know anything about me, I'm a data-driven guy, I keep records of everything. I have, I've played over 200 shows in my career playing in bands. I've countless hours, but like, I think earned something like $20,000 on the side just playing in bands and music. Um, I wish it were a full-time thing, obviously, but it just wasn't meant to be. I'm in this industry to love this industry, but you know, that, that industry is basically, you need to become a superstar and a rock star to make any money in it. Um, but I've met so many great people in this industry too. Like um, the, the, when we did our first record uh, with the modern rock band, uh, the drummer from the band Breaking Benjamin and the guitar and singer from the band, uh, the Badleys recorded our album. They're, they're now lifelong friends. I can message them and talk to them. Uh, just great people uh met a lot of just you know great great folks throughout you know the, the space and uh probably that's probably one of my coolest memories is recording drums in those bands and then you know this last comment i would make is i would love to teach more people about drums i, I just love that portion of it, whether it's beginner to you know all the other stuff that i really like about you know and so but i, I have everything from custom drum to like multiple drum sets to i mean just really cool stuff so super so hey i got i got an idea Matthew and I were talking about going to see Maiden in Worcester, Mass. Nice. Okay. In Pennsylvania. Yeah. If you want to go, we can, we'll change our uh, venue. Uh, I think it's in May, June. I forget when it is. Maybe a little later. But we'll they change the Philly. We'll go with you if you want to go. Well, I mean, look, my office at Watts is up there in uh, North Andover. So Worcester to North Andover is not far. So maybe we can work it out. <laughs> Me. Well, we got to make those plans, uh, you know, well, after after we sign off here. But, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to Maiden. I personally have never seen them, and I'm, of course, a fan. And he's seen them a hundred times or something like I've that. I've seen them, too. So. They're fabulous. They, they are, for me, they're one of the top five all-time live rock bands. I mean, they're just so tight, so good. Uh, I don't know. They've, it's probably been 10 years or so since I've seen them. But uh, they're, they're a great live. Now, I didn't answer your other question, though, Matt, which was, what, who is my favorite drummer? Um, so, favorite drummer. So yes, I got started because of Lars, but my favorite hold drummer, on, Paul. Hold on, hold on. He's gonna make a guess here. It's oh, not... go ahead. All right. Go for it. All right. My favorite drummer is Mike Portnoy. Wow. All right. Did you know? Uh, I put that? That's not who we wrote down. I mean, you wrote you went with a you know a pretty obvious one, perhaps. You know, yes. especially given what best. given what the you best. said, you uh you could probably take a guess as to who he thought might be it and. I mean, if the bullseye was—I mean, it's a pretty big bullseye to hit on this one. Who—who—who who, who do you think he wrote down? Neil Peart. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
I did. He is my all-time fave. Okay. I thought you would come up with that. That's amazing. Of course, you know, Dream Theater is legends. I mean, that, yes. you, you can't. All of them are legends. I mean, every one of the, everyone in the band is a legend. Dream Theater does a cover of Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding, that is otherworldly. Elton John is one of my, one of my all-time favorite you know artists whatever he actually just got covid he just canceled a bunch of shows just now he was he was all like rah rah they're back up again he's playing he played in new orleans and i got covid and they got to cancel a couple of shows <laughs> yeah. so but uh yeah i mean portnoy is i mean he sits you know Hi, I, I, you know with whomever Absolutely. right i mean john petrucci is the guy who everybody i'm a guitar guy basically you yeah. know more or less um and everybody you know he's the he's right there with all the rest i mean dream theater is just so okay. I have a quick story about Portnoy. So my wife, so my wife for for my I think it was for Father's Day, she bought me uh, a cameo appearance with Mike. So if you know what these are, right? So they basically you you pay him whatever the fee is, and he'll give you a custom message video. It's on my Facebook feed like permanently. I think <laughs> I've, I'll have to go pin it if I haven't pinned it. Or but when she showed this to me in bed, she's like, look at this message I just got. She hits play, and this and Mike's like. Hey Ryan, I'm like, you know, I hear you're a drummer. I hear you're a pretty good drummer. I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, but Mike Ford and I, um, I just finished reading their book. Um, I forget what it's called, Under Shadows or Lifting Shadows, I believe it's called, which basically covered everything up to when he left the band. You know, it's really fascinating. I just loved it. Look, even after Mike, I still love Dream Theater. I like Mike Mangini too. It's hard not to like him from a total player standpoint, but Portnoy is my favorite guy. I loved him and everything he's done. Uh, he's coming to Philly as well with a couple different bands that he has, so I'm looking forward to that. But, um, but yeah, that's my favorite guy for sure. So you're you're plugged into this stuff. Uh, I'll let you go. But I, I want to know if you ever hear of a guy named Marco Miniman. Of course, yeah, Marco Miniman tried out for Mangini's spot. You know, Mark, here funny story about Miniman. So Marco Miniman was in a band called the Aristocrats, and this band played. I think they're still together, maybe one and off or whatever. And I was living in Center City, Philadelphia, and I liked this band, this this Aristocrats band. And um, there was a bar down there that was about one or two streets up from us. It was called um, the North Star Bar. There's this little hole in the wall, like you never would have heard of it. It probably could fit in 40 people, 50 people max, like whatever. And literally we're down there and, and, and the next day I'm watching on my Facebook and it's like the aristocrats just played the North Star Bar. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just miss seeing literally this legend of a, of a drummer in Marco Miniman. The guy is unreal out of this world. If you want to talk about a guy that loves what he does, watch any video by Marco Miniman. He it literally plays those drums like it is the happiest thing he is doing every day. So. I seeing him live was I saw him play with a band called Necrophagist, which is a German technical death metal band that has titles of songs that you would have to just bleep them all out. I mean, it's ridiculous the names of these. They're super offensive on purpose. It's it's, it's absurd. Yeah. He re he replaced in that band. And this is real. He replaced the drum machine that they used to use. Yeah, which speaks to that guy's ability. I mean, he's just a legend. I mean, just just on the on the other side of anything I could ever dream of achieving. You know, um, amazing, amazing stuff. Hey, Ryan. Um, thanks so much for doing this. This was amazing. Great uh, information about the industry. And I mean, you're you know just what great great interview, man. I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Look, if there's anything I can ever do in the future, please don't hesitate. I'd be happy to give you more. I mean, love talking marketing. I obviously love the drum side. I love our business. So contractors in the space and um, really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you guys asking me. I'm very humbled by it. So thank you so much.
Our pleasure, sir. Thanks so much, man. Uh, We will definitely be in touch. And uh, we'll be right back with some more Mechanical Room. We will. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. We are back. Episode one, season two of the Mechanical Room. And man, I mean, that must... That was an interesting interview, I I have to say. I, I completely agree. Ryan may have been our, our best best interview. Um, wide, the most wide ranging, absolutely of of anything. Absolutely, from uh, music to children's uh, books. Uh, you know, on the post chat, uh, it was amazing. It speaks to him as a person, well rounded, with a lot of experience. Gives and back a, to his community. Yeah, and, and a friendly guy who who was making these connections. I mean, he said he was a personal friend with the uh, you know the Breaking Benjamin guy. I mean, all they did was work together a little bit, but you stay in touch. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that now I feel like you know after we've had that chat, like I'm going to stay in touch with him because yeah, I want to yeah. know and him there's better. There's a lot of things to, and, to you know chat about, right? Yeah, we're to do together. Oh yeah, like go to maiden concerts. And and, and the interesting <laughs> thing was the way that that came about was like a fluke face-to-face meeting at an AD conference. Yeah. I was like, hey, he's like, I was like, oh, I thought you were somebody else. He's like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I heard a such term. Where are you? And then and we got talking about the podcast and he's like, hey, whenever you need a guest, let's chat. And it's really funny too to trace that because we we started, we, we opened the conversation as come on the show uh, at his previous role. And I mean, it's funny. I'm not going to put up the emails back and forth between them two, but he, you know, he he was cautious with his words as he was transitioning and and whatnot, as any professional would be. Um, And then once he got established again, you know, go through the proper channels. Hey, we're going to go on. And of course, he is a super professional guy and represented Watts like, you know, as good as could be, you know, whatever. So like, no, no big deal. He's got a fascinating role. I mean, Watts gets it the way that they're doing it. Oh, definitely. With sales enablement. Hats off to them. They get it. Yeah. Cool title. I mean, yeah. that, that is fun. I had to um, ask him about that. that was, Dude, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it does speak to some of the conversations you and I have had like uh, off the air about, about how titles are, are interesting and not as cut and dry as they used That's to be. Right. And uh, certainly there's a more creative. So all right, let me ask you a question then. So rewind the clock to you're getting started at Schneider in it's what, like in the, in the 90s, yeah, early 90s, early, something like that. 90s. So, so someone in his role, that role doesn't even exist at that point. Uh, you know, there were marketing people there. There were marketing communications. He mentioned Marcom a couple yeah. times during that session. But in a sales enablement role, doing what he's doing, I mean, it was unheard of. So it's not really a, th- I mean, he's sort of a hybrid. I mean, he's like a liaison between here's, sales. Here's and- a good way to put it. As the business and marketing as a technique is evolving, Watts is jumping on board and evolving with it. So, I mean, they're they're changing with the industry, right? The, you know, there's a lot of analysis about marketing dollars and where they're spent and how it's shifting from old style, you know, commercials and literature and, and you know, a larger percentage of it is so moving into social media. And stickers. And, and stickers, <laughs> uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But <laughs> they get that marketing is changing. The demographic of who we're marketing to is way different and where they get their information and how they get jazzed up about the industry is different than it was back when i was your age right, right. so and they're keeping up with that so, so that's off to them yeah so so certainly so basically the a role like that didn't even exist back then is what absolutely you're saying. not no it's traditional hardcore marketing right okay. brand management you know coca-cola and how do you manage the brand ah, man i'm so glad i work in 2022 it's different we have, it's, it's way different i'm a sticker maker these days guys if you want a sticker cut you know get in touch you know comment on the instagram or something like that we'll mail you one out yeah <laughs> <Central> <laughs> <Therm> stickers available. <laughs> double-sided too for your window decals uh you know uh you can put them on 
on your baby's crib, anywhere, anywhere you want to put them, anywhere you want to slap them. On your them. door, on your window, <laughs> emergency exit, anywhere you want it. Yes, indeed. All right, so let's wrap it up on, on episode one, season two of The Mechanical Room. We gave a, uh, you know, a great show us your pipe segment there with a, a fascinating four-unit Navian. We had a great interview with Ryan and a few chuckles along the way. Indeed. We've got a lot of great stuff planned for the rest of the year. Stay tuned for all of the shenanigans from Miami, which uh, is coming up soon. We're going to be filtering in footage of that whole yeah, thing. Follow us on Instagram um, if you want to see some of the uh, visual. It goes back to what we were saying, right? The new way of marketing. Follow us on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and uh, anywhere you get your social media, and stay tuned for some cool stuff. Yeah, we'll see you next month.